Hello, Movie Marathoners, and welcome to episode 87 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me this week from the Munson's at the Movies podcast are two familiar faces. We've got Kyle Hickman. Hey, Mati. Glad to be back. Thanks for being here, Kyle. And we also have James D'Imperio. Hey, glad to be here. Pumped to talk about the big monkey and the big lizard. Yes. How's everyone's Easter weekend been besides watching giant animals fight each other? I didn't get a chance to eat any chocolate bunnies, but I did watch the chunky lizard. So that's that's good. <laughs> and otherwise, man, I was just doing like domestic things. I cut the grass for the first time this year and went for a hike. So, you know, trying to stay somewhat active. Absolutely riveting. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not stay active. I ate a lot of chocolate and watched a lot of uh, animal fight movies that this is I watched the whole universe of Godzilla and Kong, essentially. Nice, nice. Well, as is probably clear from our conversation, this week the episode is a normal marathon episode featuring a full-length review of Godzilla vs. Kong. So before heading to the start line, we'll warm up with some film news, as we always do. Then we'll have a spoiler-free discussion of Godzilla vs. Kong before heading into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And finally, we'll round out the episode with our point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So let's go ahead and warm up with some film news here really quick. Netflix is getting into the murder mystery game. And I am not talking about a sequel to the Adam Sandler movie Murder Mystery, which was actually kind of good for what it was. But last week... I didn't mind it. It was fine. That's, that's what I'd call it. Fine. But last week, it was revealed that Netflix purchased the film rights to two Knives Out sequels. So Knives Out, of course, was the 2019 film from Ryan Johnson that saw Daniel Craig star as the detective named Benoit Blanc. And he was investigating the murder of the head of an incredibly wealthy family, where basically every member of the family is not only a suspect in the murder, but is also played by an incredibly famous actor. So we had actors like Jamie Lee Curtis, Chris Evans, Tony Collette, all playing these different family members. So the sequels will follow Daniel Craig's Detective Blanc as he investigates new crimes, presumably with equally famous co-stars. So the kicker of this news story is that Netflix purchased the rights to these two sequels for a whopping $450 million. Now, the original film cost $40 million to make and then went on to make $311 million at the global box office. So this is a really huge acquisition. I'm not sure if $450 million also means that Netflix is going to pay additional money for the production of the film, but regardless, ton of money. So Kyle, what do you make of this acquisition and what are your thoughts on Knives Out sequels coming to Netflix? So interesting. The the numbers are what jumps out to me when I look at a film. You know, you got to think the sequels are going to cost probably around the same amount to make. I would guess in the 35 to 45 million range. But you're dishing out 450 million. Let's pop on another 80 for production of those two projects. You know, you really got to make at least 300 per movie to even be in the positive after marketing and all those things. So that is a, it's quite the gamble. But when that movie came out over Thanksgiving, I mean, everybody was talking about it. So I think, I think people like the character and I, I think it's going to be a good bet on Netflix part, even though that's a big, big acquisition. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine it being even more money, right? Because Daniel Craig, now that he's kind of attached to the brand, he's probably going to demand more money. Um, mm -hmm. 
I don't know. It's 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 really interesting because Netflix doesn't have a ton of these film franchises coming from their own original movies, right? Like they had that really successful Bright movie um, and they were going to make a sequel to that. I don't know if that's happening at all. So this is really interesting. <laughs> James, what are your thoughts on this? So when Netflix puts out these numbers, I consistently think they're either exaggerating or they're lying because <laughs> they usually blow out of the water the preconceived notions I have of how much films cost, how much revenue they generate, how many views they get. And because Netflix is this publicly traded company, they always have kind of approached it with like, we need to lock in the rights to owning content. So we don't care what it costs now because this movie will be ours to handle for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of been their model since they started. So I have no idea what to make of the cost, right? Because if that's what it costs to get those rights, sure. I'm, a, I'm assuming Netflix is thinking long-term um, on how much money they can make in you know, subscribers because they own the rights to that. Uh, but what I'm most excited for is they're focusing on the best part of Knives Out, which is Benoit Blanc and Daniel Craig <laughs> and his absurd <laughs> accent that I've only seen him use in Logan Lucky, which was great. Yeah. And the uh, first Knives Out, which was great. And I love that like cartoonishly Southern accent that really no one in the South has had since like the 1800s. <laughs> Dude, since he's, people he, wore top hats back in the day. Exactly. He's, he sounds like a foghorn leghorn. Like no one speaks that way. And that's why I love it because it's, it's so uh, compelling to watch him do that accent and be that character. And if it's as fun as the first movie, then I think it'll be great. Me a home run if it is. Yeah. Yeah. Here's here's my question to you two. Considering the price of the acquisition and how well it did in theaters, do you think you're going to see something similar to HBO Max where they obviously release it on their platform, but it also goes to theaters at the same time? Absolutely. I know Netflix hasn't really done that. That would be new for them. But I feel like they're missing a huge opportunity if they don't follow the HBO Max approach and do it. Yeah. Well, they do always put at least their... Um awards contenders in theaters whether yeah, right. that's just because of the archaic rules of the academy is another question but i could imagine them doing something similar here where they say okay knives out sequel or knives out two or knives out with the v being a two i don't know that <laughs> movie will probably at least have some sort of limited theatrical run but i mean you're right kyle like you said you know we want 300 million dollars here to offset the cost of buying this thing but if you don't put it into theaters, then what does what does this even mean? Like, what's the success for Netflix? How do they evaluate whether this was worth the purchase or not? You know, and how much? Oh, go ahead, James. I was gonna say, like, when Bird Box came out, and they were like, "Oh, we had seventy million viewers in its first two weekends." I was like, "Oh, so it's the most successful movie of all time?" Yeah, I was like that math just doesn't work out to me. Well, seventy million people budget. put it on for a minute. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, they just pay their interns just to go onto their random accounts and start clicking the play button over and over again <laughs> to amp up their listens. Um, do you think, I mean, they chunking out 450, do you think that's going to take a, a bunch out of their other original film budget and that you just won't see as many original Netflix films that year? Because right now they're pumping out what, pretty much one per week in 2021. I don't know. Their pockets seem infinite, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess that's true. Seems seems hard to like understand. I, I I would just 
it would be interesting to have Netflix say no to something, you know, and obviously we're never going to have a report where Netflix didn't buy this, but it's, it's weird to imagine Netflix being like, oh, we actually can't afford that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're just going with the infinite debt approach, which is like, if I just keep taking out loans and <laughs> go further and further into debt, I'll eventually be dead and not have to pay these loans back. Because whenever you hear about Netflix, it's always, oh, $450 million for this. Oh, they have $23 billion in uh, assets and they don't make any, they don't make money even close to covering that. And you're like, what is this business model? It's clearly successful, but like money seems to not matter at all. Yeah. Well, they are definitely getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And who knows how much bigger they can get or if it's all just going to fall apart. But if it doesn't fall apart, we will be getting some Knives Out sequels, which as you guys have mentioned, is just good because it's an original property or it was Mm. when the first one came out and we want to see more of it. And good for Ryan Johnson following up the his maligned star wars um work which you know is debatable and then he comes out with home run one he'll have a couple more in the in the cooker here so good for him absolutely so uh yeah keep an eye out for knives out sequels i have no idea when they're coming out but i would imagine in the next few years so with that let's head over to our main review of godzilla vs kong So first, a synopsis. I'm sure you can probably figure out what the synopsis of this movie is from the title, but in case you need some help, here it is. The epic next chapter in the cinematic monsterverse pits two of the greatest icons in motion picture history against one another, the fearsome Godzilla and the mighty Kong, with humanity caught in the balance. Godzilla vs. Kong stars Jennifer Godzilla and Nathan Kong. It is written by (laughs) Eric Pearson and Max Borenstein. And it is directed by Adam Wingard. Right now, Godzilla is out there and he's hurting people. We don't know why. We need Kong. The world needs him. be two alpha titans so it's finally here the cinematic showdown of the year and we saw it on our televisions at home because of course (laughs) godzilla vs kong is part of the warner brothers 2021 slate of films that went to hbo max and theaters simultaneously since many people myself included are either not able to safely go to the movie theaters or are not comfortable doing so so on the one hand It's nice to not have to pay for this movie. Very low amount of investment going in. But on the other hand, kind of a bummer to not be able to see what this was clearly meant to be seen as, which is a blockbuster visual spectacle on the biggest screen possible. But that being said, you know, I think it was still nice to have an event type film since those have been very few and far between over the last few years or over the last year. And with every versus film that pits two fan favorite characters together, alliances and teams form together. So let's start this by asking James, are you Team Monkey or are you Team Chunky Lizard? 
So I was so pumped when you uh, invited me on to discuss this because talking about <laughs> hypothetical animal fights has always been one of my favorite dumb debates to have with my friends. Um, because you'll never know the answer. And if you put, if you make enough good points, people will be like, Oh, I kind of see your side. Like most of animal fight debates I've had with this one, I started with where's the location that this fight is taking place. Assuming it's in a natural setting that doesn't benefit either the lizard or the monkey. The next thing I went to was size. And so going into this movie, I simply thought Godzilla is way too large for King Kong to even have a chance. Uh, and that's before I even take into Kong's, uh, take into account Kong's nuclear abilities. So my initial thought mm. was the betting line on this would be Godzilla is a heavy favorite and I would strongly be on team chunky lizard. <laughs> All right. And Kyle, are you convinced you agree with James? Are you team chunky lizard or are you team opposable thumbs? I could listen to James talk about betting odds for monster <laughs> fights all day. Because if you know James, him speaking from a betting standpoint is so fitting. It's unbelievably fitting. Um, now, I will say this. Going into it, I was definitely team monkey because I think previous films have at least created some compassion and empathy behind Kong. And Godzilla's, I feel like, and I think I think you alluded to in your show notes, that Godzilla's kind of been tossed around quite a bit and isn't treated you know it's it's kind of treated as the, obviously the big bad and then the king of the monsters out of necessity had to be on the human side and but naturally speaking godzilla not really a friend of the human peoples so you know i go into this knowing that you know one animal can communicate one can't with humans and i'm gonna go with that one so give me team monkey even though chunky lizard is a hilarious way to explain it <laughs> All right. So we have one team chunky lizard and one team monkey. And I, of course, am just team compelling human drama because that's what I come to these movies for <laughs> is the minor subplots from 18 different human beings, right? Take off your clown makeup. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with overall thoughts. I'll throw to you first, James. What did you think of Godzilla vs. Kong? So the fight scenes are pretty visually stunning. Um, I think particularly the fight scene that takes place in Hong Kong uh, blew me away. I love that it's at night. I love the neon lights and the buildings are you know, popping. Um, and I also loved that despite a movie where you're absolutely supposed to suspend your disbelief, because of course you're going into this movie expecting to see these two monsters fight during some of the fights, you know, some of them suffer actual injuries and, uh, an example would be, you know, Kong looks like he dislocates a shoulder during the fight and he pops it mm -hmm. back into place just like all monkeys are known to do. It's yeah, so badass. Yeah. Yeah. Best I was just like, I was like, I respect how ridiculous it is. And that's what made it fun to me. So um, overall, going into this movie, being like, got to turn my brain off, eat some popcorn and watch a big monster movie. It delivered on every level that I was looking for. All right. Glowing reviews from Team Chunky Lizard. What about you, Kyle? <laughs> Team Monkey is pretty much in the same ballpark. I didn't expect much. I expected good fight sequences. I expected some some intrigue and some nerve-wracking experiences, like when they're they have Kong as a sitting duck on a boat traveling across the ocean and in Godzilla's waters. This is going to turn out well, uh, but you know the the, min the human parts are pretty minimal uh, outside of a few like plot driving points, and you know there's 
really interesting CGI shots. And, you know, I liked it. No, it's not a great movie. It's not a bad movie. It's decent. And I'm with it. Nice. Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. Um, you know, so James, you were talking earlier about how you watched basically everything in the MonsterVerse or whatever they're calling this. Mm -hmm. And I actually enjoyed the first Godzilla quite a bit. And Kong Skull Island is like, no pun here, but bananas. Um, <laughs> but what I hated about Godzilla King of the Monsters was that they had these amazing fight sequences and then they film them as if you have dirt in your eyes the entire time. So you can't see anything. And what mm -hmm. I really loved about this movie is that, yes, it's stupid. It's just as stupid as it sounds. There's no way around that. But it commits to making the fights feel interesting and look good and look coherent. And I just loved watching these things punch the hell out of each other. There is several scenes where Kong will just deck Godzilla and you can't help but cheer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that critique of Godzilla King of the Monsters is a fair one because there are some amazing looking monsters in that movie. But, you know, some of the fights take place on like Antarctica during a blizzard. So like you can't really see all of it with this yeah. one. It's like a very clear night in Hong Kong. You see everything or it's in, you know, a beautiful sunset over the ocean where there's nothing but these two things fighting. So you see everything. And I think they uh, they got their critiques from the, the previous movie and we're like, OK, cool. We'll just fix those mm -hmm. and everything else should be good. Yeah. A lot of the fights in King of the Monsters was in the dark, whereas mm -hmm. most of these were in the daytime. And it's a whole new world when you're watching monster fights in the daytime. It it almost feels ridiculous to commend them for being like, oh, you can actually see the movie. <laughs> but that's where we're at. Yeah. Um, I also really love how lean this movie is. It, yeah. They really didn't try that hard to make anything more serious than it actually was. The characters take things seriously, so it's not tongue in cheek making fun of things. But the movie knows that it's not making Casablanca. It knows that this is <laughs> monkey versus chunky lizard, the movie. Yeah. And it just has fun with it. I read a quote from the director, Adam Lingard. He said his goal was to keep it under two hours because that's 113 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, fans, when they first heard about it, were like, oh, it's going to be three hours. He's like, I can make it three hours, but it's going to be another hour of like pointless human plot. He's like, I can't put an extra hour of monsters fighting. It's just not possible. So we're going to keep it under two hours, get people in and out, and it's going to be fantastic. And I think he made the right choice. Yeah, I think Boy, it was agree. really smart. Like the movie doesn't feel like the movie doesn't feel like it thinks that it's better than itself. Like it knows mm -hmm. what it's doing and it knows that it's a dumb movie, but not again, not in like a tongue in cheek way where it's kind of poking fun at itself or anything it's not making fun of itself it just knows that this movie is stupid and so it says instead of trying to convince you that this isn't stupid let's just ignore the fact that it's stupid and do these things and for me that makes it a lot easier to sus suspend my disbelief and not think about well it actually doesn't make sense that kong jumps from building to building those buildings would crumble under his weight you know but mm -hmm. who cares if it means he can bounce from building to building like Mario wall jumping and then deck Godzilla with a hammer, right? That was my biggest critique of the the first Godzilla movie in this kind of monster universe is it took itself super seriously mm -hmm. and it tried to add in a lot of emotional impact when the whole time you're just like, I just want to see Godzilla breaking buildings down. I know people are dying, 
But like, if we were to focus on people dying, like he's smashing skyscrapers, like there's thousands of people dying. Just let me see the skyscrapers. Cause I don't care that this one character I met five minutes ago got stomped out. Like it doesn't impact me. I just want to see the building go down and the lizard shoot stuff out of its mouth or the monkey bang its <laughs> chest. Like we don't need to get too in depth. And I feel like this movie balanced that pretty well. That points to my favorite anecdote from Kelsey when she watched this. And it's after the big fight in Tokyo and immediately Kelsey goes, a lot of people died during that fight. I go, yes, they did. Cause I can't imagine <laughs> the entire city is evacuated. At this point. Oh dude, that was like one of my, <laughs> was it Tokyo? I got the cities confused, but that was one of, that was one of my critiques where I was just like, I don't think anyone oh, Hong cares. Kong. Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. There you go. Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone cares about uh, the people who actually live in Hong Kong. Cause <laughs> it, it buildings left and right are just going down in flames. And they're like, Oh man, I wonder who wins this fight. It's like, I think we lost like 20,000 people. <laughs> Humanity <Yeah. laughs> lost. That's who lost here. <laughs> Well, so James, you mentioned that you don't care at all about the human beings in the first Godzilla, but did you care about any of the like 18 human beings in this movie at all? Did you have any yes. emotional attachment to any of them? Oh, yes. I had emotional attachment to one of them and he's got two lines in the movie and it is the comedian Ronnie Chang from Comedy Central who has a cameo <laughs> as a convenience store owner and he only has two lines and it's a joke about not selling Millie Bobby Brown bleach because he thinks it's an internet challenge thing and he's still dealing with the lawsuits from when he sold all those kids <laughs> Tide Pods. Hilariously <laughs> random and the delivery was great. And I was like, all right, I like that guy. I hope he makes it. I hope he survives. Yeah. But the rest yeah. of the humans, it was just like, nah, I'm not really here for them, man. Like, I don't have a tie to you. I, I l- Actually, I do have a tie to one of them, but we'll get into it in a second. Oh, that's true. I liked Brian Tyree Henry as the podcaster. I think he added some yeah. good color. Like he just added some good personality to a character. Obviously anybody could do that. And I think you were going to, you probably have similar thoughts, Monty, but the, uh, the character I liked seeing, not necessarily that I liked his character, but the actor I liked seeing was Julian Dennison who played Millie Bobby Brown's friend mm-hmm. who, cause I love hunt for the wilder people and he's in there and I'm, I'm just going to be a big fan of his everywhere he goes and everything he does. So that was cool to see him in there, even though his character is really a nothing sandwich. There's not much to it. Yeah. I mean, all of these characters are nothing sandwiches. I wouldn't say <laughs> that they're offensive, nothing sandwiches though. They're kind of almost just literally mechanisms to explain the plot to us. Mm-hmm. And you do need that in this movie for it to technically yeah. be a movie. Right. So they kind of do the bare minimum that they need to do. And I admire that. But I am always just blown away by how many incredibly talented actors you can shove in these movies, in these nonsense parts. Like, I know you mentioned Brian Tyree Henry, Kyle. And yeah, he's he's fine as the podcaster. But the podcaster is a role that anybody could do. You this could be your first role in any movie and you would nail the role because there is nothing to it so it's crazy that somebody was just like let's get brian tyree henry you know the guy from atlanta Paperboy. so it's like <laughs> like it, it's pretty impressive that they're able to just shoehorn all these people in here you've got lance reddick kyle mm-hmm. chandler who i'm convinced was with no other human being he definitely filmed all of his scenes like Separate. via skype or separately yeah there's he never was po- a scene- he was so pointless in the movie 100 yeah. percent pointless there's never a scene where you get an actual shot of his face and Millie Bobby Brown's face right <laughs> next to each other. They interact, but the the way that it's cut, 
makes it very clear that they probably weren't on set at the same time. I uh, I love that one of Kyle Chandler's lines is just roasting podcasts because it's hilarious. <laughs> and I think I will meme it to death where he says something along the lines like, oh, you don't still listen to that podcast, right? It's like, it's full of garbage. It's melting your brain. So I was like, that's probably an accurate representation of that man's podcast. That makes sense to me. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that this spoke podcast. To me. Yeah, exactly. And that spoke to podcast. me personally. Exactly. <laughs> and James, our, our girl, Rebecca Hall, got criticized quite a bit, not because her performance is bad, but because she is pushing across the most like Godzilla Kong lines of all time. And most of them are in the trailer of like Kong oh, bows yeah. to no Kong one. Kong bows to no one. <laughs> yeah, <I mean. laughs> Which is fine. Like, I really like Rebecca Hall as an actress. Same. I think she's great. Uh, you know, again, anyone else could have done that, but it's cool that they got Rebecca Hall to do it. That's cool. Another uh, Munson fan favorite is Ken Watanabe. And he was the guy who did the let them fight in the trailer. Like these are just the point Madi's making is these are very successful actors who are just like paycheck can tie my name to a franchise. I'll deliver one or two lines for you. I'm going to put a pool in my backyard after this movie or something. If if you guys remember in Godzilla King of the Monsters, Ken Watanabe's character sacrifices himself for everyone else to nuke Godzilla. So his character arc, pretty important. Not just a couple lines. <laughs> don't don't throw him under the bus. Oh, spoiler, please, Kyle, for those of us who haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, uh, my girlfriend watched this with me and she had never seen any of the other movies before. So I was actually kind of surprised by how much I had to tell her about the movie. She didn't need to know it, but of course that didn't prevent me from just being like, oh, mm-hmm. so actually Godzilla is <laughs> right. kind of good. So it's kind of weird that She's attacking this play or whatever. But one of the things that she said like halfway through the movie was that the biggest suspension of disbelief that she had about the movie was that the U.S. military didn't just try to instantly nuke these suckers. And I was like, no, they tried. They tried. They they gave it their best effort. Yeah, they really gave it a go. But it just didn't really work out that well. Because Godzilla opens up right with that thing. They're saying, oh, you know, testing the the atom bomb was actually us trying to nuke Godzilla and it didn't work because he absorbs the nuclear radiation so on that note though i I do find it kind of odd that james as you were saying that it it felt very one-sided that it was going to be kind of a massacre on godzilla's perspective because it seemed like godzilla was so much bigger than kong but did they make kong bigger in this movie or did they make godzilla smaller they made kong bigger i know that yeah i was gonna say they they pseudo address that issue in the other movies so because that was my first thought going into it i watched godzilla and five minutes in i was like this dude is going to crush king kong and then kong skull island starts and they kind of slide it in they're like you know he's just a baby he's still growing like if he Mm -hmm. lives longer you don't know how big he'll get i'm like all right i can kind of see them seeing what that looks like. And then by the time you get to Godzilla versus Kong, he's the same size as him. And I was like, oh, well, that's never been the case until this movie. So now the size (laughs) argument I had in the animal fight has to change, right? So it's the (laughs) opposable thumb abilities versus nuclear bomb abilities because they're about the same size. Yeah, James is right. If you want to get technical, I think I read that Kong was like 393 feet or no, Godzilla is 393 and Kong is like 362. So about a 30 foot difference, which is nothing when you're talking, you know, things that are as tall as skyscrapers. Yeah. And it's not like Godzilla has the reach. He's got the short little dinosaur arm. So like (laughs) the height doesn't make a huge difference. (laughs) 
but that nuclear blast kind of gives them some extra reach, you know, it's Absolutely. Gotta, no get, a, get out a little bit farther there. So I, I, I did read that the director said that they gave them an out. So they took it and ran with it to try to make it yeah. more competitive. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, Kong does use those opposable thumbs in that final fight to kind of make it a fight. So let's kind of get into that in spoilers. Before we do that, let's just quickly talk PRs. I could imagine this might be a pretty short segment, but this is a segment of the podcast where we ask if this film is anyone's best performance or to use the running related term, their personal record. So Kyle, is this film anyone's personal record? Is it Kong's? Is it Godzilla's? I was going to say, I don't think it's any human personal records, but I'm going to go with, I think Kong's better in this one. It shows some range, you know, we, we'll talk about spoilers here in a second, but in terms of communication abilities, you know, things that he had done in the past. So I'm going to say Kong. Yeah. Nathan Kong's acting ability is really shining in this one for sure. <laughs> what about really you, James? Coming into his own as an actor. Um, so when we were talking about personal records, I know those usually going towards the positive light, but I took them also as records that could be in the negative light. So the first one is Kyle Chandler. Uh, His character has to be a personal record for his worst representation of a competent father. Um, (laughs) In in three disaster movies, he has lost his family all three times, twice that result in the death of an immediate family member. Uh, and this is a, an actor who usually plays like a straight laced, well put together guy. And he is an awful father in this movie. So that's got to be a record. Um, and then the other one is in this movie, I believe it sets the record for uh, real world or fictional world for the least amount of people who can speak using sign language, which is two. Um, in this movie, <laughs> only two people have that ability. And it is a major plot development. And in the rest of the world, that is not the case. Many people can speak using sign language, but not in Godzilla uh, versus Kong. You could also make the case that Kyle Chandler's personal record for shortest amount of time during a film. Yeah, that he technically stars in. Other than like a cameo early in his career. This is it. Yeah, right. Dude, the the fact that it's like the same plot device for his character, three different movies, blew me away. I was like, when is this guy? It's like taken. Like at some point, Liam Neeson's a bad father. In this, at some point, Kyle, it's on you, man. Like, you keep doing this, and your family keeps getting hurt for it. Who's to blame? Rep for the brand, (laughs) Kyle. Come on. (laughs) For real. He's a disgrace to Kyle's everywhere. What do you think, Monty? PRs? Do you see one out there? Oh, geez, no. I I do not. Um, (laughs) You know, I well, so, okay, let's say. Let's see. Um, Yes, I, I, I agree with you, Kyle, that this is Kong's PR. You know, Kong versus Skull Island. Kind of a ridiculous movie, pretty fun, but I think this one's a little bit better. And Kong is definitely kind of, you know, we may even, you know, we're saying this facetiously, but there is actually some semi-emotional aspects to the Kong character in this, and there isn't in the original one. So the concept of home, there's some there's some depth there with Kong's character. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely not Godzilla's PR though. She was kind of done pretty dirty in this movie. Not yeah. very positive light being portrayed on on our chunky lizard, but and, and I will also say that I I do enjoy the first Godzilla a bit more than this movie just because um I don't I don't know if this is a hot take I don't know if you guys disagree but Ooh. I found that for what that movie was the kind of building up to this mega battle and and the suspense and you know using that sort of from the ground view of this was pretty cool 
and it was effective for the first time that it did it. I think if we had multiple movies in that format, that would really bother me, but I liked it for that first movie. Where does this movie rank for you guys in terms of the monster verse? Uh-huh. One or two, probably. Yeah, I, like, I have my. I, I, yeah, I like it better than King of the Monsters and Skull Island. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I have one or two. What about you, James? In order, it actually went based off of release date. So, the oldest movie I thought was uh, the worst. And so that would be Godzilla. But what you'd mentioned about Godzilla is true. I think they did a great job kind of building the world. Where I got hung up on was the human characters' relationships in that movie. Like, uh, was it Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen, as well as like Brian Cranston? But then, then I go Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, which I thought was great because it was just like the they finally embraced the all right, let's just get stupid with this. And then I feel like this movie is the best because it kind of perfects the yep, we know you're not here for character development. Here comes the monkey, here comes the lizard, let's watch them fight. All right, yeah, fair enough. So let's go ahead and just use that to summarize our thoughts on Godzilla vs. Kong and give it a score out of 10. James, you want to start? Yes, absolutely. So I would say when you're discussing this movie, not since the grueling and heartbreaking cinematic portrayal of the Holocaust in Schindler's List or you know, the skewering of the pointlessness of the Vietnam War and Apocalypse Now, have we seen a film that so effortlessly shows you the physical and psychological effects war has on working class people while also tackling the complexities and nuances of our dependency on being a dominant species like we do in Godzilla vs. Kong? This movie is up there with The Bridge on a River Quiet and Platoon as a work of art that shows its viewers a thinking man's interpretation of war. Actually, none of what I just said is true. This movie is a big (laughs) monkey fighting a big lizard. And if you want anything more than that, then I promise you this movie is not for you. If that sounds like something you would enjoy, then you would enjoy this movie. I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. All right. That was amazing. I was very (laughs) impressed by that. All right, Kyle, what about you? Eight and a half is that's a that's a really good score for a, like a just a monkey lizard you know blockbuster thriller. So I'm not going to go that high, but because I'm kind of I'm, I'm going to rate it against just like every other general movie out there. But as I mentioned before, it's one of my preferred of the monsterverse. Uh, so with everything we've talked about, I'm going to give it a solid six and a half. That's what that feels right to me. All right, and I'm going to be right in the middle of you guys. I'm going to go 7.5 because I had a lot of fun with this and I think it is really good for what it is. It's just what it is, is, you know, a monkey and and, and a lizard fighting each other. But that's fun. Lots of buildings going down and it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you what it is, Madi. It is on IMDb right now, the number one most popular movie on their site. Wow. Currently. Yeah. Well, the most traffic. It also broke the record for like a quarantine box office. I think it made something. Did I make this up like 40 something million dollars? I think I saw 111 million. And that's the most recent number I've seen. That's with uh, global. That's global. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So congratulations, Godzilla vs. Kong. It would have been really interesting to see what you guys did in in a normal pandemic year. But thank you for gracing my nice little TV in my living room instead. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we'll hop into spoilers for Godzilla vs. Kong, and maybe James can dive more into the uh, morals of this dilemma. Yeah, the, the ethically gray dilemma you face as a viewer watching this movie is really astounding. 
Yes. Change so, the, I want an in-depth analysis of the themes and whether they conflict throughout the exactly. film. Exactly. Yeah. All right. All of that coming up next. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically, or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back and talking about spoilers for Godzilla versus Kong starting now. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. Mega Godzilla, he's coming. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where I was going. So, so Mecha Godzilla, were you guys surprised? Um, what did you think about that whole reveal? Kyle, Not surprised. Start? Yeah, I wasn't surprised just because I I haven't seen a lot of the older Godzilla Kong movies, and I'm not a I, I don't have a ton of knowledge of that whole universe beyond the the last four movies. But when I saw what what that puppy uh, featured once they got their hands on that power, I was like, oh, I know where this movie's going. They're gonna fight each other. Then they're gonna have to team up to save the humans, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, super predictable. James, did mm-hmm. you see this coming or are you stupid? Um, I, I am <laughs> stupid in that uh, I still think it is a great thing for our military to create. We should absolutely have gigantic robot lizards that <laughs> run on artificial intelligence and just randomly decide that they don't like us anymore. I think it is exactly what this world needs. But no, I, I didn't see it coming, to be honest, because I was only half paying attention around those points because the human conversations were like my least favorite part of the movie. And so they're like, oh, look, we work for this company. It's like, yes, it's the classic capitalism's bad guy where it's like, this guy's trying to monetize the lizard. Sure, whatever. And I just went back to not paying attention. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, now I see where they're going. And it was badass. It was a blast to watch. Yeah, I I was being facetious. You're not stupid if you didn't (laughs) see this coming, but it was quite super predictable just because They've got to team up at some point. So what are they going to team up against? Yeah, Mechagodzilla kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Somebody really liked Pacific Rim and they <laughs> wanted to make oh, a Pacific Rim sequel that didn't suck because Pacific Rim Uprising sucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you you kind of know with a movie like this because so many people love Kong and so many people love Godzilla. They can't just have one win. So they're going to put them on the same team against a common enemy. And it just so happened. The enemy was Damon Bashir uh, being a big old piece of shit. <laughs> Have you guys ever played Godzilla Destroy All Monsters? No, but I'm very interested in what that is. Yes, yeah, so I've actually never even heard of it. Okay, so this is a game from like my childhood. So it was a Game Boy Advance game, maybe the, the one that I had, but I think it may have also been for the GameCube. And basically it was like Super Smash Bros, but you played as the different, you could play as different mm. monsters from the Godzillaverse. So that is basically 
all of the knowledge that I had of Godzilla was from this video game until 2014 when the first movie came out. But, you know, you can play as Godzilla, you can play as Mecha Godzilla, King Ghidorah, who was the villain in the last Godzilla movie. Mm -hmm. Then you got Mothra and Rodan and and all these different guys. Mm -hmm. And so it was really fun to basically see that that was kind of the basis for this movie is you just you were just fighting with these different people. So I, I really enjoyed that just as a nostalgic thing to get to see like Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. It's a really fun fight. That game Mecha, sounds Mecha Godzilla was in that game. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. There we go. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you could ahead. get it for like $11 somewhere, <laughs> or you could just, you know, get an emulator and play it, but it was, it was pretty fun. Hmm. So I think you, you made a good point. I know you've made a note in the show notes. Where were the other Titans during all this? They just, it's kind of like an MCU movie where all these other superheroes definitely exist somewhere. They just don't happen to be there at the time, but where were the other Titans, man? Yeah. Where's maybe, Mothra? maybe James, you can answer that. Cause you just most recently saw Godzilla yes. destroy all monsters or whatever. Right. But doesn't it end with all of them bowing to Godzilla? Yes. And so the way they, Kind of the way the movie kind of gets you off of that thought, Kyle, is in very quickly when everyone's like, oh, my God, um, all of the monsters in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, they're all following the three headed dragon. You just said his name and I forgot it. King Ghidorah. Um, there you go. King Ghidorah. They're all following him. You know, what are we going to do? He's they're destroying every city left and right. And Kyle Chandler's just like, well, if you kill him, then Godzilla will be the alpha and he likes us. And so all we have to do is focus mm-hmm. on that. And so that just kind of stayed the way they described why there's no other monsters doing anything bad. Cause it's like, all that matters is who's the alpha monster. And uh, we got to see Kong and him battle it out. And the rest of the guys will just fall in line because they, those guys like us, I guess. Like they don't really try to go further into that. Be like, as long as Kong and Godzilla like us, we're good. So it's like, it's like a movie or a TV show where, you know, some guys heading a gang of, of other fighters and whatnot. Instead of them helping out Godzilla, Godzilla's like, nah, y'all chill. I got this unlocked. Like, yeah, that's, exactly. Is that what we're supposed to expect? That Godzilla said, stand down. I know y'all want to back me up, but I've got this monkey myself. Yes. Is that the logic and, we have to go with? <laughs> yes. And okay. um, if we're going to be honest he had the monkey himself. He, he I did. think he he beats the shit out of Kong like the majority of this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I d- I don't disagree with you. Not until Kong gets his little axe deal. That's that's really the only reason yep. it becomes competitive. Yeah, but even then, I mean, it's pretty clear that Godzilla wins the fight, which I I thought was cool. That I I read that the director said somewhere during production that like no, there's going to be a definitive winner between Godzilla versus Kong. And mm-hmm. insofar as there can be, like one's not going to kill the other because no. these are giant pieces of IP. But yeah. Godzilla does win yes. in Godzilla versus Kong, which is pretty cool. Yes, and it's very much a Kong movie. So the yeah. entire time I was like, how are they going to make him beat Godzilla? And then uh, when it's- he grabbed that axe that I... It's like Thor's hammer for yeah. gigantic monkeys. I was like, oh, this is this is game over. He's going to decapitate him. But then my brain clicked back on. It's like, there's no way either of these two kill each other because they have a thousand more movies to make. They got to milk that money cow. There's no right, chopping exactly. of any heads that are going to happen. Um, well, they brought, I, I thought it was an interesting plot point at the end of the movie, which is what they did at, at the end of the last one, King of the Monsters, was 
uh, how they brought Kong back is the exact, not the exact same way, but it's the same process of how they brought Godzilla back with the nuke at the end of the last one, right? Like down for the count and then just explode them with an insane amount of energy and they're back in the game. And that's when he throws his shoulder back into place. I was like, that's the exact same thing they did in the last movie. <laughs> you know, a, a, a the only way that all animals know how to do. It's the only thing you can do, I guess, with giant monsters <laughs> at that point in time is just nuke them uh, and they'll come back to life. Yeah. And I mean, that is what happens in real life is like when a dog is dying, you like throw a bomb <laughs> at it and then it comes back to life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. how we brought my cat back. <laughs> You know what could stop Godzilla and they just didn't think about it? Depth charges. Why didn't they think of this before? Right? Like just toss some depth charges and you got this yeah, handle. I think that's like part of it is like uh, they just overlook some of the things and then throw them in there at the end. Like, oh, we could do this thing that no, none of the viewers have any idea what we're talking about, but promise yeah. us it works, which I kind of respect in a movie like mm-hmm. this where you don't need to know all that stuff. <laughs> um, but it was funny where they're like, oh, we should do the depth charges. Like, yeah, you should have done that four movies ago. But sure, it'll, it'll work here. <laughs> and how did Kong come out of this alive uh, since he's closer to the surface probably at that in that point and doesn't have isn't covered with all of this uh, armor. Right. It's just hair. So it seems more vulnerable to depth charges. But hey, this is me thinking way too deep into the plot at this point. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely moments in the movie where I would catch myself thinking too hard about it. Because mm-hmm. as cool as the uh, the battleship scene is in the ocean, like that's just such a cool premise for where that fight would take place. And then the part where mm-hmm. Godzilla like shoots the the atomic breath up through the hole of the ship, so cool. But yep. when Kong jumps from ship to ship, super cool <laughs> scene. But that feels like jumping from styrofoam board to styrofoam board. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the like, fact that it wouldn't break on impact yeah. completely. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's all sorts of little dumb things like that. And then that fight ends by them just being pretending to play dead. Is Godzilla an idiot? Like <laughs> turn off the lights, right? Like I don't know, which ego ones, wins. Uh which one's worse? Playing dead to end the fight or spilling whiskey on the control panel of this like billion dollar mecha godzilla to win the fight yeah i'm gonna go would, with playing dead that's my guess i would say uh the the, the spilling is probably more realistic because of <laughs> the the people i've worked with before where it's like this could be the most intelligent people you've ever met but then they'll elbow their coffee by accident onto something so i could totally see that issue taking place um, with an animal, he's not going to sit there and be like, I don't know. I think that other animal's dead. He's going to like eat the carcass right there in front of everyone and be like, I'm going to ingest this monkey. I don't care if he's dead or not. Guys, let's act like a you submarine. Maybe they won't realize we're still here. It's great. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the one unrealistic part though, that stuck with me was the sign language bit with the little girl and Rebecca Hall, where I was just like, yeah, I guess we all stopped retaining gorilla knowledge when jane goodall sign language with that uh gorilla like in the 80s but like sure maybe we'll say that's a thing there are so many other people that can speak sign language this little tiny baby does not need to be around this killer monkey like (laughs) anyone else can talk to the monkey in sign language she does not need to be involved in this story and don't they always have kong under surveillance so you didn't notice him signing uh, with this little girl, like, I, all right, well, so lost there. okay. I thought that they were implying that she had almost like a a more 
telepathic communication with her. If it's oh, really? really just that she's able to sign language, that's really stupid. That never crossed my mind. I went the the dumber route and that like for some reason this girl had some sort of empathetic like she- connection with him or something. Interesting. No, that, that didn't would, cross my mind. I would actually accept that answer more than the one that I was hung Agreed. up on in which there's Agreed. only two people on the planet who can speak using sign language and one of them is like a four-year-old and we got to put her in harm's way so i like yours where (laughs) she's got like a kind of extra sensory yeah like a shining style connection with them yeah she's the monkey whisperer right exactly the thing that so i you know we're talking about a lot of things that we had slight annoyances with but I, i was fine with most of it the one thing that i just couldn't get behind was Skarsgård telling a story about how they tried to cross into Hollow Earth, but his brother died trying to do it. And then just casually, you know, they're trying to make it seem like it's difficult to do. And then they just, they're like, oh, by the way, we have these vehicles and they can easily traverse it. And we brought everybody (laughs) in and we made it through the first try without any casualties. It's the easiest thing in the world. That was the part I was like, but you just talked about how difficult it was. And now all you really needed was Kong to show you where the energy source was. And that whole getting in part wasn't that difficult after all. Yeah, so that, that is part. classic, just shitty, big budget storytelling, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Pretending that the stakes are bigger than they actually are just by telling us that the stakes are bigger. Like you didn't have to even tell us about the death. Just be like, hey, we struggled last time to get through, uh, but we think we can do it with these new vehicles and you're fine. Like you, you don't have to make up a death. But I, um, had to, I had to pause and rewind to be like, where did this flying car come from? Like, I I might I wasn't paying attention for a second and then all of a sudden our technology as humans has advanced a hundred years in the middle of one conversation. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's because they didn't really explain it. They were just like, Yeah, we can't do this, but with this DeLorean we can. And I was like, All right, all right, I'm with you. Let's go to the upside down world. I'm in. And that thing can also resist the like inversion of gravity perfectly, but then Kong can also just crush one in his hand. Which was a hilarious scene when yeah. he just kills that girl in the spaceship, but mm-hmm. that doesn't quite work out for me logistically. But again, <laughs> you know, we're in a losing battle if we're trying to apply logistics yeah. to this movie. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I, I think to go off what you mentioned about that girl being, uh, you know, the like pseudo evil corporation being crushed with like nothing. Um, I think that's some of my favorite parts of king of the monsters and skull island is how the humans are so insignificant that they just get randomly smushed to death i (laughs) love that part of it because that is how i would interpret the real life situation to be where it doesn't matter how hard i'm you know i want to defend this country i want to try so hard it's like oh yeah the giant spider just ate me so it doesn't really matter what my thoughts were on the situation because i'm a tiny little nothing compared to it a Twitter re- Twitter revived that that scene with Shay Wiggum from Skull Island where he grabs the grenades and he's like, oh, I'm going to get eaten and blow him up from inside. And that thing just swipes him straight into the wall and kills him. Yeah. yeah. Like, Dude, so people were roasting that. But was, I was like, if you watch the movie, the whole movie's like that. So it's not like mm-hmm. it's supposed to be this super dark situation. Like it's kind of dark, dark comedy. Yeah. James, <laughs> like, are, are you trying to tell me that people on Twitter found a scene from a movie yeah. that came out a number of years ago. Cherry picked that scene without understanding of the context of the scene <laughs> in the movie and then tried to make some bold point about it to gain attention. Yeah, I'm shocked. I'm just as shocked <laughs> as you because I've never seen that tactic used before. I'm blown away that I didn't see a tweet today about how Robert Downey Jr. is racist in blackface in Tropic oh, Thunder, I know. honestly. Dude, so. 
just you just got to watch like the actual movie and then make up your mind because when people are like look how stupid this is like yeah have you watched the rest of the movie a guy gets stabbed through the throat by a spider the size of a skyscraper like it's not supposed to be taken too seriously monty can i steal 30 seconds for a quick rant on film twitter Yeah, yeah yeah go for it so people on film twitter that are listening to this right now if one or two people post a hot take on a movie Something they say something stupid. It doesn't mean there is a pervasive belief of that thing. Oh my across god! Across the you. world, like just because one young idiot or one person trying to get attention and piss people off say it, doesn't mean we have to spend an entire week ripping on it and pretending like it's a thing, right? Like once upon a time, fourteen kids ate Tide Pods. There weren't thousands of kids eating Tide yeah. Pods, and now they pretend it's some pervasive issue. Film Twitter does this shit all the time they take one stupid opinion on a movie and they blow it up because one person said something stupid ignore it you can ignore tweets people Fuck. yeah generally <laughs> speaking on film twitter the backlash to whatever the opinion is is more significant and larger than the actual thing that they were talking about and it's so frustrating mm-hmm. but whatever let's go ahead and just close out here I, I don't know do you guys have anything else you want to mention about monkey verse Whatever the other one is, Lizard. I have one thought, Monty, before you go. The, and it's a positive thing. I, I like how the movie ends with the song from the Hollies, The Air That I Breathe. It felt very Guardians of the Galaxy with the tone of the song at the end of Kong, just like hanging out in Hollow Earth, doing his thing. And I thought that was a, a fun change of tone to finish the movie on from everything else. So do we think that there's going to be a direct sequel to this? Like... What's th- there was no post credit scene of Mothra recruiting them for the Shield Initiative or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> what's what's next for Godzilla and Kong? I think there could be because they does he have family that are in Hollow Earth? They haven't really explored Hollow Earth yet, so I feel like they could do a sequel of like Kong Hollow Earth, and yeah, maybe finding other Kong like creatures and HBO series, yeah, competing for being the king of Hollow Earth. I don't know. An, H- an HBO miniseries that takes place a hundred years before, you know, it's the prequel to Kong vs. Godzilla, where he's just like a <laughs> tiny little monkey. <laughs> like a Curious George type? Yeah, exactly. It's like, wow, this guy's pretty strong for this cat-sized monkey. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I'm I'm willing to watch whatever they throw out, so. Yep. Let's go ahead and close with a marathon-related question, since we are on the Movie Marathoners podcast. I think, James, you were... You seem pretty excited to answer this. So (laughs) I'll throw to you first. Who do you think would run a faster marathon, Godzilla or Kong? I love the question when I saw it here. This is right up my alley. I love (laughs) animal-related fights, competitions, battles. Um, So with this, I think Godzilla would win a marathon, and I don't think it would be remotely close. Uh, I think when it comes to agility and top speed, Kong is clearly superior. I think if this is a sprint, like... A short sprint. I think Kong's got him. However, Kong never left his island until this movie. So he I don't think he'd have the stamina to keep up with Godzilla, who we have seen in previous movies make it from like Antarctica to Mexico, Japan to San Fran in like no time. So maybe with some training, Godzilla, I mean, uh, King Kong could beat uh, Godzilla. Mm. But in a marathon at this point, I think Godzilla leaves him in his dust after the initial sprint. Godzilla's (laughs) a thick girl, though, man. Uh, She's. But that stamina just never gets tired. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Guys, guys, listen, they're both quadrupeds. So you got to take that into account. My anthropology background is coming in here and that they're both, (laughs) well, 
I know Godzilla has those tiny little arms. So that's such a tough question to answer because neither run, right? Like Godzilla functions swimming. That's, that's where she does her work. Kong does his work when he's swinging. So when you put him on the ground and you ask him to run a marathon, I honestly have no clue who would win the marathon. I do not know. A marathon's not like that far for them, right? Because they're so much bigger. So it's it's probably more equivalent to like a mile. But do you, is it like monster marathon where you basically take the equivalents and multiply it by 26? Mm. So it's an actual marathon or is it a human marathon? I honestly didn't think about this question hard enough to be able to See, answer that. I'm this sorry. is and like I started with the animal debates. Like once you start diving deep on this, normally you can convince anyone of anything because it's such a stupid <laughs> thought pattern that if you sound confident in your defense, people go, That's a great point. I never thought about that. Because why would anyone ever think about that? You're the only There's- person who's thought about it, James. And I go, I know. And that's why I try to win these animal arguments because <laughs> someone like Kyle brings up, like, are we talking actual 26 miles or are we talking equivalents? It's like, oh, back to the drawing boards. <laughs> <laughs> James looks like Charlie Day and uh, it's always yeah. sunny at that point. Like, come on, yeah. let's figure it out. Um, I don't know if there's a CGI artist listening, like, draw it up. Let's see what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so- we start- you start looking at like their running form and you're like, I don't know, that's too short of steps. I don't think Godzilla is going to last long over the long haul here. Are they gotta, are they wearing racing spikes or is it trainers? Like, are they barefoot? I don't know. That that makes a huge difference. Like, if, they, if they have that Nike boost, right? Well, Godzilla might, would definitely be, be barefoot. I know. Godzilla would, I feel like, have on some short, sort of shoes. King Kong comes across like a barefoot runner to me. Oh, geez. Now, now that we talk about this, I, I think I'm with James. I think Godzilla wins the marathon. Kong, while he could win a sprint, again, he's a quadruped. He's going to move on four hands, not on two. That's, you know, gorilla before humans evolved and, and became biped and walked upright. It was awkward to do such a thing because of the way our hips were placed. And his, his hips are not equipped for a marathon. So I'm going with Godzilla. Okay, we've got two Godzillas. So I will I will fall into line. And also go with with the thick girl. She's gonna win the uh, the marathon against Chunky Monkey. So, well, let's with that move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So, Kyle, I'll throw to you first. Uh, what have you been watching other than monkeys and lizards? Outside of the the things we've been watching for the months since podcast, the latest new film I've seen is Bad Trip, and I know okay. it's. A little bit controversial out there, whether people think it's good or not, but I will say four or five times watching this movie, which is uh, Tremaine, who was behind the Jackass products. I laughed so hard four or five times to the point where I was almost crying laughing. And it's not for everybody. Eric Andre is definitely not for everybody, but I enjoyed it because it is dumb. And I think the gags are executed very well at times. So I don't, have you guys seen Bad Trip? No, but I love I love Eric Andre. I think he is uh, definitely an acquired taste because his humor is abrasive and stupid on purpose. Um, So I can understand people hating this because whenever you suggest something he's done, like half the people are like, that was the dumbest Mm -hmm. thing I've ever seen. And the other half are like, I cried laughing. It was so stupid. (laughs) You need to let me know your thoughts once you watch it, James. I'm very interested. Yeah, I, I checked this out um, a couple of days ago, too. And I th- I agree with you, Kyle, that there were a couple scenes where I was just laughing 
so hard, especially in the beginning. I, Blender was, scene, man. It was Kill so me. funny. Um, <laughs> there are, there's definitely, it, it suffers from one of those things where it, it feels like an SNL skit that goes on for just a little too long. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. And I feel like a lot of these films that are like comedy vehicles for people who are more used to sketch formats, it feels that way where it's sort of like, okay, I'm laughing, but like now I'm done laughing. <laughs> so, so it it is with one of those things that because it kind of has these compartmentalized things that some are going to be better than others just innately. So I liked, like, I really, really liked certain bits and then other bits. I was like, I, I don't need this and we can move on if that makes sense. But yeah, um, I get it. I, I would, I would also just recommend it. You know, I think you'll understand whether it's the type of movie for you or not after five or 10 minutes. Does that mm-hmm. seem fair? Yeah, that's that's usually about when I'm suggesting like the Eric Andre shows. Like if you don't laugh in the first five minutes, just turn it off because that's what it's going to be for the rest of the show. <laughs> um, and that's usually a good gauge for people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, definitely would recommend that. And Kyle, that's on Netflix, right? Netflix and it's only like an hour and 20 minutes. So pretty short. Yeah, cool. Glad you uh, touched on that. James, what about you? What have you been watching? So I have been uh, recently obsessed with an anime cartoon um, called Attack on Titan. Have either of you watched this show? No, but I've heard of it and I know people oh, love it. my God. Same for me. I've never seen it, but I know so it. So I was never a big anime guy and it wasn't by choice. Like I actively didn't like it. It's just, I never went searching for it. And one of my friends recommended this to me. It's currently free to stream on the adult swim app, as well as it's on Hulu. Uh, And it's on its fourth season, which is uh, its final season. So it's concluding. And it is like a truly remarkable viewing experience. And I've fallen in love with it to the point where like, I am convincing, you know, I convinced my wife to start watching it and she loves it. My sister's obsessed with it. Um, I'm just telling anyone because there's no one for me to talk to about it. So I've told everyone <laughs> in hopes that they catch up and we could speak about it. But uh, the general premise of it is, I mean, one of the joys of the show is that it's got twists and turns that uh, and mysteries that take place. So it's hard to describe it without feeling like I'm giving something away. So I'm only going to explain like the general premise of it. And I'm going to use Game of Thrones as a reference. Have either of you, uh, either of you fans of the Game of Thrones series? Yeah. Yeah. I never heard of it. What is, what is okay. that? All right. So, well, the way I would describe this is <laughs> um, Attack on Titan most closely reminds me of Game of Thrones, except obviously it's a cartoon. The show centers on the last location where humans still live, which is inside these gigantic walls that they've built around their cities. And it's kind of like if the White Walkers and Game of Thrones took over the world. So there's no other world other than these few people. And the world just kind of adjusted to living amongst these White Walkers by building gigantic walls around like the last remaining cities so they couldn't get in. Except instead of the White Walkers like Game of Thrones, it's human-looking giants that are called Titans who attack and eat humans on sight. And so it's like action, drama, and then like the depth and of the characters and you know how much you get emotionally invested into this fictional world where giants eat humans um, is unbelievable. And I couldn't recommend it more to the point where like my wife was like, Oh, this is going to be stupid. And then like three episodes in is like, Oh my God, we got to watch the rest of this. It's like, I know (laughs) it's outrageous. It is so good. And I could not recommend it more strongly. 
So they're people? They're not monsters? They're like giant people? It is giant. Yes. So it's giant people who they look like people, but, you know, they don't speak. They're not like uh, intelligent like people. It's just uh, something the size of like a skyscraper that didn't talk. And just every time it saw someone, it would just scoop them up and eat them. It's like a troll almost. Exactly. And dude, it goes from like the politics on how to handle it to the religions based around life inside these walls to Mm. the science of how can we compete with something that big. And it is really impressive. And they get around the, uh, the giant human um, sex organs pretty, pretty well in which they almost immediately explain like, Oh, and they don't have any reproductive organs. And I'm like, Oh, cool. So you don't have to like, so it's not like Dr. Man uninterested. Yeah, <laughs> you intrigued me for a while, but lame. So it's not yeah, Doctor Manhattan with a, a five-story dong swinging in your face. That doesn't exist in this. It's yeah. not like this is the end with the so devil. It's not with the huge like dong Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I don't like it. I don't like it, James. You had me sold until you said there were no dongs. So I'm, yeah. I'm good. I was okay with King Kong not having a dong, but I cannot <laughs> get behind giant people not having dongs. That, yeah, that was one of the funniest comments I saw online about uh, Godzilla vs Kong is. Someone was like asking, uh, I think it was Ryan, was it? No, who was the director of this movie? I forget who it was. Adam Adam Wingard. Wingard. Yeah, Adam Wingard. And someone like tweeted at him and was like, so I haven't seen any of uh, King Kong's uh, wiener in the preview. Do you see any of that in the movie? And everyone was like, dude, what the hell is going on? Like, what is this question, man? (laughs) All right. Well, no, I mean, I've I've heard a lot about Attack on Titan and and that sounds sick. Where, Where did you see it again? So I watched it on the uh, Cartoon Network app. So it's Adult Swim. It's, oh, cool. it's free free with the cable login. And the episodes are 22 minutes. So all of a sudden you blink and you're like, I've watched 12 episodes of this show. Oh my God, I'm fully invested. And is it dubbed or do you watch it with subtitles? So you can you could do uh, either or. I watched the dubbed version. And when it's dubbed for a cartoon, it's way less of an issue than say right. when it's dubbed for like a drama. Yeah. Um, but you can get the faster version, which isn't dubbed, uh, and you can read the subtitles. But because I'm a creature of habit, I'm just waiting for them to dub them and put them out on like, uh, I think it's called Funimation is the group that does it. So yeah, it's dubbed in English. All right. Awesome. So that is Attack on Titan. And you can check that out on the Cartoon Network app. Thanks, James. So uh, I just want to shout out a film that I got to see a little while ago and is now recently available to people. Have you guys heard of Shiva Baby? Yes. I have. Okay. Did you, have you seen it? No, not yet. Oh. Okay. So this is a comedy uh, written and directed by Emma Slig- Sel- Seligman? 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 Um, Seligman? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it stars Rachel Sennett, who uh, is from like the same Connecticut town as uh, my girlfriend. So she oh, nice. was really into uh, Rachel Sennett <laughs> and watching this film. So we, she was really excited when we got to check this out. But it's 77 minutes long. So like chef's that kiss, perfect awesome. amount of time yeah. to dedicate. And the premise is that Rachel Sennett plays this young Jewish girl. She's like a senior in college. Uh, she's named Danielle. And she goes to a shiva with her family. And then the entire family, more or less, takes place at this shiva with various characters coming into the film, kind of stirring up drama and chaos in uh, Danielle's life. And I think the film is really, really funny. Um, it's also very Jewish, which is pretty fun if you like. <laughs> well, I'm out. 
that's it for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. Coming from the Northeast, those are my people, man. I love, yeah. I bet this humor is very dark and I bet it's yeah. great. And, uh, you know, so my, my dad is, is Jewish. So I've, I've grown up around Jewish people and it's, it's like very loving homage, of course, but it's also, there's, there's a very Jewish sense of humor to it. Um, but the thing that really got me was that it's staged kind of like a horror film, specifically the like social anxiety horror film, sort of like the pool scene in eighth grade. I don't know if you guys mm. ever saw oh that. Oh my God. Right. That's the most anxious I've ever been. Yeah. So it's like where everything is so awkward and painful for the character in the movie that you as the audience are just suffering secondhand <laughs> embarrassment. And the score of this movie really plays into it too because it kind of reminds me of the score for us where it's, you've almost got these like violin string plucks mm -hmm. and this wound up score. It just You're on edge for the entire 77 minutes. So it's actually a really good thing that it's on the short side because even after 77 minutes, I was like, oh. <laughs> it's a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really fun. Uh, really funny. I think it's really well made. Um, Emma Seligman has a really good career ahead of her. And it's, I also thought that the ending was pretty sweet and concluded everything on a nice note. So I, I would really recommend this one. Um, if you guys are interested. I will definitely check it out at some point. I mean, you sold me when you said it's a good movie and it's only 77 minutes long. I know, that, right? is like, <laughs> that is the absolute sweet spot. Totally in. It's like, God, yes, God, yes. One of your favorites, James. Super short. Yeah, and super to the short, point. To the I was, point. Tells the story well. I was just going to reference that movie. Yeah, that it it reminds me a lot of Yes, God, Yes in the sense that, it, you know, similar budget and the way that it's shot. And um, it really just goes in and then leaves and it doesn't overstay its welcome or anything. Um, I, I think if you liked Yes, God, Yes, you'd also really like this one. Different religion, obviously, but um, <laughs> Still good. You know, similar things. Follow-up question for you, Monty, and it's it's not about Shiva Baby. I know you and I are watching the same TV show on Disney Plus right now. What are your thoughts so far on Mighty Ducks Game Changers? Dude, I love this show. It's great. I was <laughs> so pissed that it is coming out week to week because the first time that I turned it on, I was like, oh my God, they really think I'm going to watch this week to week? And that yes, pissed me are. off. And then I watched the first episode and I was like, oh my God. I'm going to have to watch this week to week. I love this. And it's not like good, but it is, it, it hits that sweet spot, right? Of mm -hmm. being really competently made. The kids are actually relatively good actors, but it just has that feel good sports thing mm -hmm. every week. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm a simple person. I'm, <laughs> I'm sold, man. I, I told these guys, I've watched all the Mighty Ducks movies to prep for it just so I can make sure I had ever had a handle on everything. And, you know, it's interesting to see what they're doing with Emilio's character, someone who's kind of sworn off hockey uh, and you don't really know why. I mean, I guess he kind of explained it, but yeah, uh, it's, it's only a matter of time until he comes around. So I think that's what we're kind of sticking around for. It's like, when is he finally going to come around and start to actually coach these kids? Because other than one or two, they are terrible. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you've seen this before. It's, it's mm -hmm. not anything that like a billion feel good sports movies haven't done already, but it's kind of surprising to me that it works so well as a tv show um and and it feels like you actually kind of get to know the characters a little bit more whereas in a movie version of this you know the one or two main characters but it feels mm. like we're starting to actually get to know every single one of these characters so yep. it's cool but anyways yeah i mean check out the mighty ducks game changers on disney plus but also be sure to check out shiva baby you can rent it on vod for about like five bucks it's definitely worth it
So with that, this has been our review of Godzilla vs. Kong. Kyle and James, thank you guys so much for joining me. I always love having the Munsons on. Hopefully I can get some of the other ones uh, sometime soon, but you guys are always welcome to join me whenever. You got the good ones, man. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell the other ones. And we love coming on here, dude. Anytime uh, you need us to review anything, we're here, man. We love, we love joining you. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are always welcome. Really excited to have you guys on again, but is there anything specific you guys want to plug while you're here? Yeah, I suppose we should plug the the pod for those out there that don't know about Munson's at the movies or haven't heard of us. The the basic concept is we've got a big old list of about 800 plus actors. We put them on a wheel, five of them. We spin it and it lands randomly on one. And then we cover that actor's career, start to finish, on screen, off screen. And then we rate them on what we call our Munson meter. And uh, we, uh, we just wrapped up recording for episode 33 for Philip Seymour Hoffman. So that'll be hitting should be available once this episode lands. And so you can check us out. We're on Twitter at Munson's at movies and on Instagram at Munson's at the movies. Stop by, say hello, subscribe, and uh, let us know who you want us to cover. James, I miss anything. No, Kyle, you're great at that, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I'll say that you're, you're definitely underselling it too. It's, it's an awesome podcast. You guys put a ton of work into it. um, And it's really amazing. Just like how many, obscure movies you guys hit and talk about it's it's really fun and then it's all like spoiler free to an extent so you don't even have to have seen like every single philip seymour hoffmore movie for example but mm-hmm. yes I, I definitely recommend checking them out guys if, if if you're listening and you want another movie podcast in your rotation it's well worth it and if you are a big fan of monty you can go check out our sam rockwell episode that he joined us for as a guest and he's phenomenal and it's probably one of our better episodes <laughs> objectively one of our better episodes also one of our longer episodes so at your own (laughs) enjoy yourself yeah all right well thank you guys for joining me so much absolutely no problem man the intro music for this episode is a piece called work by kevin mcleod and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com if you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when i release new episodes you can follow me on twitter at movie maripod or on facebook at facebook.com slash movie maripod that's movie m-a-r-a pod and you can always reach out to the podcast via email by contacting moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast online at evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners or wherever you listen to podcasts. So please subscribe or write a review if you like the podcast. And as always, any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and I hope you'll tune in next time for a TBD topic. We're still figuring things out as we slowly start to get blockbusters coming back. But as always, stay tuned for future episodes. Until then, remember that life's a marathon, so let's take it one movie at a time. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. 
Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 